2024 is the year of podcasts, and we want to let you know about a brand new show that is live right now. Join with me to share the good news about the Worthy of Everything podcast. It's just one of the two hosts, Jaja Lasso. Jaja, you've been working on this podcast in the background. Our team has been very excited as we've been preparing for its launch. How does it feel to know that the episodes finally are out there and we're moving forward every single week? It is so exciting and I am just excited to see where God takes it and I have so much hope that it is going to be an incredible blessing to the listeners. Amen, amen. But as I understand it, this is a show tackling the issues of mental health through the lens of the gospel. Can you share just a little bit more about the heart and the intent and who you're really trying to serve through the Worthy of Everything podcast? So I personally was freed from depression and as I've come to understand my freedom from sin and identity in Christ, I start to recognize all these amazing gifts that God has given us. So yeah, just exploring and hearing awesome testimonies about how to walk out true intimacy with a loving father who pursues his kids. Oh man, sounds like a good time. If you want to check out the show, lovereality.org slash podcasts and look for the Worthy of Everything show. The world doesn't think that the gospel can change your life, but we know that it can. And that's why we want you to hear these stories, stories of transformation, stories of freedom, people getting free from sin and healed from sin because of Jesus. This is Death to Life. Like, I was at this stage of my life where I I didn't want any, like, truth or life being spoken over me because it felt wrong, because I had already solidified my idea of myself as, like, being this broken individual who would never overcome the sins of her past. I don't know exactly the timeline of when this started to happen, but suddenly, like, I heard this other voice in my head, and I, like, knew without a shadow of a doubt that it was, like, the voice of God. Yo, welcome to the Death to Life podcast. My name is Richard Young, and today's episode is with my friend Casey, and Casey's story um, is tough to listen to at some points because there's just some, there's some real sadness, but just like every episode, hold on till the end because there is some life, and uh, I love Casey, I love this episode, um, I think you're going to enjoy it, so with all that being said, let's just go into it. Um, buckle up, strap in. Love y'all. Appreciate y'all. Man, this is real talk. God is loving on me. Colorful and innocent, that's on me. Got me standing in the light and it's on me. It's a new heart, it's a new beat. It's a new thing, it's a new seat. It's a new thing, it's a new dream. It's a new heart, it's a new beat. Hey, got me singing like... Got me singing like Got me singing like Singing like I've met you uh I've met you twice. I've seen you two days in my life. One was Dude, two days. Yeah, one was Not even a, I think it's a full day together. Not even two days. Well, total time spent with you is now about 30 minutes. Because I would agree with that. Because I met you the night before your wedding, and you were so pumped, and it was so fun to see you. And then at your wedding, yeah. you looked so beautiful. You were just like a ball of energy, and mm-hmm. 
that's the only thing I really know about you outside of like a few little, oh, you should hear Casey's story. Oh, you should hear Casey's story. Oh, you should hear Casey's story. And so I've never heard your story. And that's what I know. Um, And you look and seem like you are so happy and so filled with joy. Am I right? I would agree with that. I I think I'm a pretty happy person. You're a pretty happy person? Pretty giggly, pretty goofy. You caught me on a good day. On your on I'd your say wedding every day, day a good day actually. <laughs> the wedding day was a very good day for sure. Funny thing though, after the party that you met me at at the welcome party, yeah. that night I just cried and cried for like hours. Like the guests had left, and I think I was just so tired and overwhelmed because the next day was like the day that I had been thinking about since I was like five years old that I just. What started sobbing and then it was it was like a train that ran off its tracks. I just was like, uh, uh, like in the shower, my bridesmaids were like, are you OK? And I was like, no, it's like happy tears. It's just like, oh, my gosh, this is happening. It, it was. Is there going to be a wedding video? <laughs> no, because that that stuff is expensive. And I yeah, get it. True. Like pay people what they're worth for sure. But we unfortunately couldn't. Do that. Well, I'm just excited to see any photos or anything because it was a beautiful wedding. All of that yeah. to, to all that saying this, <laughs> where do you feel like your story starts, Casey, when it comes to uh, your identity, knowing who you are, and uh, spirituality? Like, where do you feel like your story starts? Um, I'd say if I don't know if this is answering your question correctly, but I'd say like the first time I rem- like have this significant memory of like faith and spirituality being a part of my life was at summer camp. Um, mm-hmm. I started going to Camp Wano when I was in second grade. My parents always say that it, I was like not that young, but I swear it was second grade. So I started going when I was really little. And I just remember camp was the place where like I experienced God. And I um, grew up going to church and everything like that. So I had this like knowledge of God, but I feel like camp was the place where I always knew I'd have an experience with him. Um, and it was great. That's the park in Yosemite or that's the camp in Yosemite, right? Yeah, it was pretty amazing. Um, we would go to base camp. I went to base camp, I think only like one year. And then from then on, we would just go to all the outpost camps, like rock climbing and water sports. So I made some pretty significant memories there. But I just remember like one big part of it was um, the counselors gave such a beautiful picture of like what faith lived out looked like as a young Hmm. adult. And of course I'm like eight years old at this time, but as you get older and you go to camp, that age gap gets smaller and smaller. And so you start to see yourself in these young adults who come and think to yourself like, Oh, this is like what a walk with Christ looks like. And Mm -hmm. it's cool. And these guys are cool and they all go to Southern and they rock climb and, and they love Jesus and they sing on praise teams. And I want a piece of that. Um, And so that was, that was, yeah, that was just the first time I ever saw myself having a desire to be in ministry or just to have like a significant relationship with Christ and having those experiences for myself. Yeah, don't underestimate your influence as a camp counselor. When you're mm-hmm. a camp, I, I had kids that I, I worked at summer camp one year and I had kids for years afterwards that were in my cabins messaging me and talking to me. And um, yeah, so this influence that, these camp counselors, this camp staff had on you, you're just like, that's, I want that kind of faith. That's what I want in my life, huh? Yeah. And I don't even remember any 
significant spiritual conversations. And now as a like as a director at one of the camps is like the programming director, that's all that you care about. Like you think about it and you're like, oh, I, I hope these these counselors and staff have these awesome one-on-one conversations with these kids, these deep spiritual conversations. But as a camper, that's not what I remember. All I remember is like their walk and like the way they carried themselves and the way that they loved other people. It wasn't any any specific event that stands out as genuinely just the way that these people carried themselves and how countercultural even I as a second grader like could recognize and so you grew up with a healthy kind of understanding of who God was and you heard all the Bible stories um, as you're getting older did that stay that way or I have a feeling that we're going to get to something when <laughs> did a, a more complex or uh, the lies of the enemy start to come in to position you as something um, I think the first time I started, I don't know, hearing lies or seeing lies take root in my life, um, was in middle school. Um, that was when I first remember experiencing significant loss in my life. And so it felt like it was like the short span of time where in which like a lot of my, we were losing a lot of my family members. Like my grandma passed away. Her two sisters passed away. My grandpa was diagnosed with cancer. My other grandma was diagnosed with cancer. Um, and so it was just like a lot of pain and suffering around me. And um, I, again, I didn't have like a real intimate um, relationship with God. Like I wasn't, I don't think I would have the words to say like, oh, I doubted who God was to me at the time or anything like that. I just didn't have a strong connection at all. But then going later into middle school, um, really the first time I remember having one of those moments was, um, in eighth grade, my aunt passed away and she was my dad's younger sister. And both my parents only have one sibling. Um, I don't have any cousins, anything like that, like pretty small family. And so my aunt passes away in eighth grade and, um, there was nothing really leading up to it. Like all my other family members who had passed away from that point had been from like cancer. It was like a long, slow, painful journey where you're almost like mourning it the entire time. Um, but it was like the day after Valentine's Day, and it was such a core memory. I literally remember every part of it. Um, I was sitting on the couch. I was watching the voice on my dad's iPad while he was watching football or something on TV. And I was eating my Valentine's Day candies from the day before. And I just remember my like dad goes to pick up the phone and he comes back and I just remember he tells us like that our aunt has died and I just remember like just being so shocked like it was like our whole family went into shock like we didn't know what to do or what to say like I had no context for what she was going through what she was struggling with um and I still have this journal to this day where I remember I like had never written it before. I opened it up and I just started scribbling like furiously in it. Like, God, how could you have done this to me? Like, what am I supposed to do now? Like, God help me. Like, just crying out to God. Um, that was like my knee-jerk reaction and what to do in that moment. Um, and later, maybe like, I think it was probably the same evening, my parents told my brother and I that she had struggled with alcoholism her entire life. And um, so it was health related, but we just didn't know about the alcoholism because she had always um, tried to conceal that in order to be present in our lives, um, which looking back was such a beautiful display of love um, towards the two of us. But it ended up just hurting so much more um, when we did find out about her passing. Um, 
So then after that loss, how old you know, was, was she? Finished. In her 40s, maybe oh, early 40s. Yeah. And so it was just like a really shocking loss. I had never dealt with that type of loss before where you just don't see it coming at all. Um, she had liver failure or something like that? I think it was like a heart attack or something. I could be totally wrong. I don't even remember. I just remember one day she was there, one day she wasn't. And then I re- like it was revealed to us like that she had battled her whole life with um, wow. alcoholism. And um, yeah, it was just a really dark time for me. I had no idea how to process this kind of stuff. And um, around the same time, I, I think I just started struggling a lot with like self-worth and shame and all these sorts of things that sort of start to come up when you're a tween girl, teen girl. And um, all of that coupled with the grief um, started to manifest itself in me starting to self-harm around the same time I found out about like her passing away. and. Yeah, that was unfortunately a thing that was a part of my life all throughout high school um, going on. How how does something like that start? And like, had you heard about cutting or whatever before? And like, why did you give it a try the first time? And what was the mindset behind all of it? Yeah, I don't fully know. Like, it's interesting because I you know, since then have read a ton about like depression and self-harm and things like that and um, gone to a lot of counseling. A lot of people will talk about it being like a cry for help and things like that. And I think maybe that was part of it. But I also think I was just really angry. And it was something that I felt, um, I don't, it was just a way for me to funnel that energy into something. And um, there was a lot of self-hatred there. And so in harming myself, that was a way for me to just get that out. in seventh grade, I had a friend tell me that that was what she did. And I didn't remember her reasoning for it or anything like that. But that was sort of the first time I had heard of it. Um, and I wasn't on social media or anything at the time. Like I was on like Facebook playing Farmville probably. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, there was no external influence other than that one specific moment. And, um, yeah, I just remember having this thought in my mind that that was something I was going to do. And I did it like I found a razor and I just remember hitting my shoe with it and um until the blades broke and I kept them in my nightstand drawer and anytime I was just really having a moment um just where I was just so felt so physically and emotionally broken and helpless that's what I would turn to um and it wasn't like the first time I had done something like that like the sort of like self-abuse type of thing interestingly enough like as I had gone through counseling later in high school I started to identify other times in middle school and I had done something like that and it wasn't cutting um, but looking back it was a type of like self-harm um, and it was just any time I wasn't performing well in something especially in sports I was really hard on myself in sports because my brother was a really great athlete and um, anytime I would fail at something in sports, which always feels very public, you know. Mm. Um, I remember I would like drop catches and things like that. I'd play center and left field um, through middle school. And I just remember I would like hit myself. I like hit my arms or like scratch my arms and stuff out there in the outfield because um, I was just like so angry, like so mad at myself for not being this version of myself that I expected myself to be. What did you, um, 
outside of performance, what did you dislike about yourself? I don't, the thing is, is that I don't think it was anything physical at the time. Like, I don't think it was really like, oh, I'm not as pretty as other girls. Because fortunately, I feel like I was a lot more, kids were a lot more protected at that time from like social media and those sort of influences, um, at least at that age. Um, and so it wasn't really that. It would be things like my personality and like who I was. Like, I always felt like I was too much. I um always wanted to be like in leadership roles, like essay president or class president and things like that. Even throughout middle school, I remember like fourth grade, I was like the K to four president. And then eighth grade, I was the eighth grade class president and representatives and things like that. And I kept this up. And so I had this idea of myself of who I wanted to be. And um, when I would achieve that, obviously it would like fill me up. Um, but when I would fall short in those positions, I felt really, really awful about myself. I'd start reflecting on it and think like, well, it was because people just don't like my personality or like I'm too loud or like I'm too bossy or things like that. Um, you know, like I, if I ever had like a teacher who told me like I wasn't leading well enough in those areas, um, yeah, I just, I just took things, I was really hard on myself, um, for those types of things. And so like the insecurities about my physical appearance didn't really come into play until high school. Like in, I think it was in fifth grade or sixth grade or something. I remember this thing happened where I was like on spring break and I got like felt up by like this old man in a pool and I just like never talked about it. Like, I think I brought it up to a friend once, but in like a laughing, joking way again, because like I didn't want to be a victim. Um, I didn't want to be perceived as anything less than perfect. Um, and so because I brought it up in the laughing matter, I think they just brushed it off. So I just brushed it off. And yeah, that was just something that I just also swept under the rug, never talked about. But that was slowly and secretly just eating me alive um, because that also had an impact on like shame and then it fueled like the self-harm and like they're just really negative spiraling thoughts and the depression and things like that and so yeah it was a lot of just holding things internally um and then letting them manifest in yeah just abusing myself wow so like this thing that happens on spring break mm -hmm. um did you feel like what were what were the main lies about that that you were believing about yourself that made you feel shameful? Um, I don't know. It was tough because it's tough thinking back on it because I know that I just brushed it away um, and just didn't even think about it until college even like I didn't have the words for what it was. So in my head, it was just hmm, like some weird old guy, like touched me inappropriately, but like not worth talking about. And so I don't think it really, I really have words for whatever the lie was. I just knew that I felt like crap um, and it didn't feel good. And I, I probably was thinking something along the lines of like, I'm not enough. I'm not worthy. Um, it probably fed into the narrative of just like my own brokenness. Um, and yeah, things along those lines. Mercy. So, so you get into high school, um, and high school gets high school, 
high school's crazy. <laughs> uh, high school's crazy too. It's like let's yeah. throw all the insecure people together and make them want to <laughs> be a like lot each of hormones. other. Yeah, social media comes into play. Oh, yeah. and mercy. It, it's so weird too because like thinking back on these times in my life too, I was like, I was a really happy kid though. Like yeah. I look back and I I sense that I was joyful. I sense that I was happy and I was very smart and driven and like so throughout all of this like it wasn't like I was walking around with this like black hoodie over my head. Like I still was whatever I was putting forward wasn't always a front. Like I think right. because I wasn't I didn't have the words for labeling myself as like this like broken depressed kid. I I think it took away some of the power of it honestly. Um because I wasn't labeling myself as any of those things, I sort of was able to move in and out of those feelings and experiences a little bit more fluidly. Like I could be happy this moment and sad this moment, happy this moment and sad this moment. So it's just not to, I just don't want to make it seem like I was, yeah, just singularly depressed as like a 12 year old. Wow. That is, that is heartbreak hotel. Uh, what you're describing so far, <laughs> so bad. Um, <laughs> But like you were saying, you didn't feel like you weren't faking it because you genuinely had good times. You genuinely were happy. You were outgoing. There was just a bunch of garbage in the background that was making it difficult, but you were you were plugging through. Am I correct so far? Yeah. Like I definitely was like intentionally hiding some of the grief and some of the like Oh, I mean, all of like the bad stuff I was intentionally hiding, but I wasn't, yeah, I wasn't faking the good times. I wasn't faking the joy or putting on a face in those scenarios. I was just genuinely like allowing myself to feel that. Right. So what happens in high school? Does it, do you find solace? Do you find some comfort? Did you learn, like, tell me about high school. Does it get better? Um, <laughs> high school. So for two years, I was in high school in California, and then I moved after my sophomore year. So just for context, okay, we're in the first half of high school right now in California, Adventist High School. Um, and it was good times. Uh, I had good times. I played sports still. Um, but like the self harm stuff did not go away. Um, it didn't just like magically disappear someday. I just kept doing it. Right. Um, kept feeling pretty bad feelings. Um, the depression just it didn't just like magically disappear. Um, and yeah. And then all mm -hmm. these other things start coming into play, right? Like boys and, and, and drama and things like that. And, um, I had a Tumblr at the time. <laughs> <laughs> And on Tumblr, you could like receive anonymous messages oh, yeah. And I remember just getting like mean messages on Tumblr. Um, that happened my sophomore year because uh, my sophomore year is when I figured out that I was moving to North Carolina. And I remember telling people and then there was like a group of senior girls that I swear hated me. <laughs> I don't think they did like do anymore. I just think we were all really dumb high schoolers. And um yeah, I remember getting a few messages that were like, no one's going to care when you leave. And so as a kid, like self-harming yourself already and like being pretty depressed, hearing that no one's going to care when you're gone. That's a pretty, pretty hefty message to, to receive and then to believe as well. Um, so, yeah, things like that happened. <laughs> um, not good. Not fun times. Um, and I think it was either my freshman or sophomore year when like my parents figured out that I was cutting. Um, and it was actually because um, 
my other friend, it's in, it's interesting because all this stuff comes out in high school, mm-hmm. right? Like that other people are also cutting. And it's weird because like you find solace in the fact that other people are doing it too, but you don't actually get better because all of you know that it's wrong. So none of you seek help because if you were to seek help, it'd be like this ripple effect and then everyone would know you as this sort of thing. And so like no one told anyone that we were doing these things, but we'd encourage each other like, no, you're beautiful. You shouldn't be doing that to yourself. But then no one would stop. Um I don't think anyone was like super open about it all the time, but like I think we kind of were all aware that this was a thing that was happening for at least like three or four of us. Um, and so I go to a football tournament and I have this band-aid on my wrist, and it was actually because I had like this like little tiny ringworm on mm-hmm. it. And so I was covering it with a band-aid, but I had another friend who is covering some of her like cuts with a band-aid on her wrist. Mm-hmm. And we go to this football tournament and her friend, her cousin is playing from another um, school and she's there and her cousin's mom, which would be her aunt, mm-hmm. um, sees the band-aid on her wrist and notices the band-aid on my wrist as well. And so she calls her mom, who calls my mom, and then I'm at school one day being told that my parents were about to come pick me up and i just remember feeling like oh crap like this is not good um because i my knee-jerk reaction was like someone's died and then also i got in really big trouble um she was like neither of those things actually i just it was just like a really shocking experience to have your parents finally aware of something you'd been struggling with for years um And at that point, my dad had already moved to North Carolina and um, he was trying to fly back every few months or once a month or something to come see my mom and I as we finished out my last school year um, in California before we all moved. Mm -hmm. And I just remember like my mom was crying. My dad was on FaceTime and he was crying. And um, yeah, that was just like a sad day to realize like how much your own hurt hurts your parents And so, like, I didn't get in trouble for it. I think I just realized, like, how much they loved me Mm. um, and how much they also didn't know what to do. And no one really knew what to do. Um, They asked if I wanted help, like, if I wanted to see someone, and I said yes. Um, They said they wouldn't tell anyone without my permission. Um, And so, yeah, my... They handled it the best way that they could, um, just with like a lot of love and a lot of understanding. Um, we didn't talk a lot about it after that significant moment. Like my mom would check in in her own way and just be like, hey, how are you really doing? Um, and so that was helpful. And I didn't actually end up getting um, like going to counseling until I moved to North Carolina. And that was just sort of a handful of times. Um, but yeah, that was a pretty that was a pretty heavy day. <laughs> When, when it all came out. I'm sure there's a bunch of lies that come for parents. Like, mm-hmm. like you were self-harming through no fault of your parents. They loved the yeah. mess out of you. But a mm-hmm. lie comes up and it's just like, yo, you guys aren't doing it. And they're, they yeah. have no idea. You know, they didn't know this was happening. Um, but mm-hmm. they, I mean, they're around you all the time. They love you. Um, yeah. And so I'm sure that was crazy heavy for them. Um, to try to navigate through. Yeah, I can't imagine being a parent and figuring out, like, what comes next after this moment, you know, and not 
knowing the full extent of what this even means at this point, you know, like what is my daughter actually thinking? Like what's causing her to do this? Cause I'm sure I wasn't able to express that very eloquently to them, nor did I probably want to just cause it was like pretty heavy and I would just probably have a breakdown. I didn't like crying in front of people. Um, and so I'm sure, yeah, there was a lot of questions in their mind and they probably like, yeah, just had a lot of lies too about what that meant about them as parents, but they've just always been amazing and loved me in every way that they possibly could. And in those moments, like, I just know that like they loved me so fiercely um, when they found that out. Man. So let's talk about the internet for a second since we're on the subject. (laughs) Cause Uh you had a Tumblr. I had a Tumblr. Tumblr. Nice. Tumblr was the wild, wild West. Like, it it really I was never on MySpace, but Tumblr was pretty nice. Oh no, like I would follow these people and my Tumblr was like I had a blog for a long time that I would post on almost every single day for I think seven years. But then That's pretty impressive. I had a Tumblr that was just like my this like I'm in the feels, like this is my feels Tumblr. <laughs> and because I knew the internet I feel like I knew the internet pretty well. I knew mm-hmm. the horrible side of the internet. And mm-hmm. the internet, like I was ne- never like with people or chat chat rooms or anything like this. But it doesn't take long on Tumblr to come across things that you just shouldn't be seeing, shouldn't be looking at. Um, mm-hmm. How do you feel like for you, the internet helped or hurt as you're growing up in these like, in these teen it sounds like a cliche, but like in these teenage years. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So the deep pockets of the internet. <laughs> or if this isn't even um, a part of your story, then don't worry about it. No, Tumblr just wasn't. I liked it because it felt like I could really express myself and I could like do the coding stuff and change my. Oh, yeah. The coding for the site and I probably still have it embarrassingly enough. Oh, um, I need to look at yeah, it. Yeah, I could like I, want yeah, to see I could like make all the in my feels posts and things that were just subtle enough that like they might not know what it was, but if your classmates were following you, you pr- they probably would pick up on the fact that it's about some guy that you like, you know, like you're just doing those like posts to get just a little bit of attention. So people are like interested and think you're like an interesting person or something. <laughs> but then there were like the whole anonymous messages deal, which is like not good. Should not have opened myself up for that. Not cute. Not fun. But then on the wholesome side of things, I was really heavy into One Direction. <laughs> so just had like a lot of One Direction on my my feed that I got really heavy into Marvel. <laughs> kind of a nerd. Had a lot of that on there. Um, but then you'd get the handful of really stupid like body image stuff. That was like I remember the like thigh gap was really big. Okay. And it was these girls with like really skinny thighs who you could probably fit like a whole like two fists in between them when their feet were together. And so that was like a whole body thing, which Honestly, like, it's still a thing. Like, I feel like every every year, every so often, there's just, like, a new body trend. Yeah. Whether it's, like, the hourglass figure or, like, swimmer's bod or something like that. Every Weird fascination with people's body parts, specifically on women. And so that, at the time, the weird fascination was with 13-year-olds' thigh gaps. And so, you know, it was, like, all of that kind of stuff that I really took to heart. And then freshmen and sophomore year that that's probably where the like external influence was coming from um because i'd say my 
friendships were pretty okay at the time. I don't think anyone was, like, saying anything about how I looked. Um, but I just remember I went so hard with, like, exercise. I was on – I, like, played flag football, loved it. We had really, like, competitive coaches and stuff. It was really fun. Um so we had, like, a really great football program, super fun, won a ton of games. Um, I was a wide receiver, and we also did Insanity. That's what it was. We'd do Insanity in PE, oh, which mercy. was Insanity. And then I'd have football practice after school. And then because I hated my body and I hated myself, I would then go for a two-mile run around the neighborhood. And so I was just – this was, like, just another form in my mind of just, like, self-harm like i was just like punishing myself Were you constantly at least eating and, enough calories to to do it yeah but i do remember like trying to make myself throw up and i just like couldn't go through with it but like it was just all the toxic crap that could happen to a teenage girl or like a teenage girl could inflict upon herself in a way um and i i, I went so hard that i gave myself um tibial stress fractures and so I started like limping and I just knew that like my shins really hurt and I thought it's just shin splints but then I developed this like limp and my mom was like why are you limping <laughs> and then I went and got an MRI and they were like you have these like tiny little fractures in your shins and now you can't play football for like the it's next like your legs months. are a little bit broken <laughs> yeah. like just a little just bit broken a little bit <laughs> Yeah, just a tiny bit. So probably don't do any of that crazy stuff you're doing to your body before. And so, of course, that sucked even more because I was missing out on, like, football that I loved. And, um, yeah, just having to, like, sit out on this other stuff just fuels the, like, self-hatred and, like, the shame and all this kind of stuff. And, yeah, I was in the dumps, man. <laughs> so so you get to North Carolina and you go to a counselor. How, how does that work? Is that... Like, did she give you or he give you any useful information on how to deal? Um, yeah. Well, how it came about was I, I went to Fletcher Academy. Loved the school. Fantastic staff members there who really just, like, I felt very seen by them. I felt very safe with a couple of them. Um, I mean, with all of them, but there were specifically a couple who I felt very close to. Um... Anyway, so yeah, there were a couple staff members who I just felt really safe with, and I felt like I was in this environment where I could just seek help. Um, I felt like mentally I was a lot healthier there, although <laughs> in this stage of my life I started like having some pretty severe like panic attacks. Um, and there was like, a lot of stress from like the move across the country, like going to a completely new place, never gone to boarding school before, don't know anyone, um, but it was a fresh start still. Um, That's wild, yeah, though. Junior in high school, upperclassmen mm -hmm. moved across the country, got to make a bunch of new friends. I'm stressed now just talking yeah. about it. Like, that sounds crazy stressful. Yeah. Yeah, it was. It was a it was a it was a crazy time. But I was blessed in so many ways at Fletcher. Like, I truly believe like God orchestrated that move because um, it brought so much goodness into my life, um, just in the form of people and relationships and just building my faith um in whatever immature ways it could be built at the time um and I, I think I started to just like recognize so much goodness in the people around me like the girls at the school I never felt like I had any drama while I was at Fletcher like I was never involved in anything dramatic I felt nothing but like love and support from most of the staff members um 
I could be in these like student leadership positions without putting the same amount of like shame that I put on myself in previous spots. Like I was yearbook editor and essay president and I'd like just gotten to this school. <laughs> um, and I loved it and I was thriving, but at the same time, like I was struggling with these panic attacks and I was still struggling with like self harm and things like that. And, um, it was lonely at times. Like I loved the people I was surrounded by, but I didn't have like really intimate friendships other than with like two, um, girls there who are now some of my best friends. And, um, yeah, it was at this point when I was having these panic attacks and things when I, I think it was the chapel in there who I, I either approached her or she either approached me and asked if I wanted to see someone. And um, I met with this. She like drove me off campus to meet with her. And I met with this lady a couple of times and she gave me a lot of like very. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? She just gave me some really good advice. Um, not necessarily like spiritual counsel any, or anything like that, but she gave me some ways to like really ground myself physically during panic attacks to like do some like deep breathing exercises and things like that to help with all the like physical strain of, of what a panic attack felt like um, and the exhaustion that it would leave me in afterwards and how I would sort of be just struggling to maintain a sense of um, reality. Um, yeah, so it was helpful in that way. That's good. And so, was there dating stuff at, at Fletcher, or were you? <laughs> no, I like there. I thought there were some people who were cute, but I never really wanted to date in high school. I had this idea that you. I just like why why like why would I? Um, I definitely had like crushes where I was like, oh, it'd be nice if this turned into something. But in the back of my mind, I was like, this is stupid. I don't want to marry this person. Well, so why am I trying? <laughs> um, I know some people that got married to their high school sweethearts, and that's super cool. Mm-hmm. But for the rest of us, it's like taking your heart out and lighting it on fire. Yeah. It just And hurts. I saw other people do that, and I was like, mm. Not for me. Yeah. I mean, the crushes hurt bad enough. Like, I remember sitting behind this guy I liked in high school so, so like sure that he's gonna ask me to banquet and right in that class period he turns and he asks this other girl to banquet and I just remember being like this is the saddest moment of my life (laughs) so I was so happy that nothing more serious ever happened than that because even those moments I was like man this sucks (laughs) this this is an aside and if if the listener if you don't know what a boarding school banquet is and a Christian, like, then this is not for you. But when I was, <laughs> when I was a dean at a boarding academy, like, w- when banquet season was approaching, I was like, guys, please do not go to the banquet by yourself. If you go mm-hmm. to the banquet by yourself, I'm going to be upset. They're like, why, <laughs> dean? Why can't we go by ourselves? I'm like, because there's a ton of girls over there that would just, like, just, it's not, you're not going to marry that person. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's helpful practical like life and and just go with yeah. someone who's your friend but when mm-hmm. you go by yourself like number one that's lame number two like you could you're missing out you can make someone you know it could be a good thing and so yeah. uh i really wanted them to ask and i yeah. i shamed them i did i shamed them <laughs> into asking not it's healthy that's yeah, probably healthy yeah they hate me now <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah, we haven't spoken for ten years. Yeah, <laughs> it's bad. No, it's they actually, blocked me on social media. <laughs> it's actually, it's actually okay. So, uh, you go through the rest of high school, and it, there's ups mm-hmm. and downs, and and uh, where what is God at this point? 
Yeah, God felt pretty real to me when I was at Fletcher. Um, I think it was largely because of the staff and because of my roommate. So my roommate, Alyssa, one of my best friends, um, pastor's kid, just, like, would faithfully, like, read her Bible every night. We would, like, pray together before we went to sleep. So precious and wholesome. Um, She was probably, like, one of the only people, along with this other friend of ours, Hannah, who I would allow to, like, see me cry, um, who, like, after I would have a panic attack, I would let them in my room and let them, like, console me, and they would text our Spanish teacher, and the Spanish teacher would come, and he'd, like, take us all to Chick-fil-A afterwards so I could, like, decompress. (laughs) And um, so it... God felt real to me because I was being so taken care of there. I was, like, seen. Like, it felt like all my dirty secrets and things were out there. People knew about them. They were caring for me in such affectionate ways. Um, That, yeah, like, there wasn't a time in my life where I've ever doubted, like, God exists. Um, I definitely knew when I was at Fletcher that he was real and that I loved him. And, um, you know, I loved the spiritual community there and— it felt real to other people too. Like I saw how God was real to other people. Um, I saw people expressing their faith, test like giving their testimonies at different things. I mean, yeah, it just felt it felt good at Fletcher. Like the spiritual life and my faith, other people's faith. Like God was real. That's so awesome. Praise the Lord for for staff and faculty at these schools that just care. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's the biggest difference that they can make is just caring. Yeah. And how how about like your standing with God? Did you feel like you and him were good? Did you feel like you had assurance of salvation? Did you like what did you think about in that regard? I don't think I thought too like heavily about it. I think I had a pretty simple faith. I was just like, yeah, like I love God and that's that's kind of all there is to it. Like I that's wasn't awesome. um I think the biggest cornerstone of my faith was recognizing that I felt like God had brought me out of a really tough situation and moving me to North Carolina. So I was seeing this abundance of his like blessings in my life. I knew that he was real and I knew that he was always with me. Um, I remember in senior year Bible class or doing like Jesus and the Gospels, I think was the name of the class. And um, I remember learning about in the book of Matthew, how it starts off with Jesus being introduced as like Emmanuel, like God with us. And at the end of Matthew, he says like, and behold, I'll be with you even to the end of the age. And that being like this inclusio of like, he's always been there. He's always been with Mm. us and he always will be. And that was such a significant truth in my life at that time. Um, To the point where I remember giving my testimony, like in I think it was like my senior year for a week of prayer or junior year week of prayer. And I probably lied at some moments and saying that I had overcome some things I hadn't fully overcome yet. I had made just have, they may have just been asleep at the time, like the self harm in those situations, but still like I was very sincere in what I said and that I can look back on my life in those really difficult times um, while I was in the middle of self harming, like while I was having these depressive episodes and I knew that God was with me and I know that God's with me today. And I know that he's with me in every single moment. And so that was this like unwavering truth that I still held to. Yeah. I think in Academy, one of the beautiful things is like, you're growing in maturity and you come in at such a young age, but by the time you're a senior, if you continue to grow, there's like this vulnerability that you're able to share now. Mm -hmm. And like you might get up in front of your classmates and say, I have struggled with this. And maybe you haven't figured the whole thing out, 
but part of the answer is being vulnerable and, and mm-hmm. there's so much freedom in that. And for your maturity level, like that's a huge step. Now, mm-hmm. a lot of the time it's a bunch of people being vulnerable that don't have any answers. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can be a problem, but there's still a yeah. beauty in being vulnerable, right? For sure. And I recognized too, in that moment that like, there's so much power in testimony. You know, I had a lot of people coming up to me afterwards, like, um, lower classmen who were just telling me that they struggled with the same thing. And although I didn't have the answers, right, it was a positive in that moment to have these things that were once in darkness be brought into the light. Now, I didn't have the capacity to handle them in the light spiritually or anything like that. I don't probably didn't. I probably pointed them in some directions that maybe they took or didn't take, which was probably to talk to a staff member. But um, yeah, it's so interesting how when you talk about those things that were once in darkness, it just opens the door for other people to do so as well. Absolutely. So you had a, a good experience, praise the Lord, for, for that school as you're, you get into college and you're moving on. What happens next? <laughs> I, I got a boyfriend um, and I Let's started go. college. Let's yeah. go. All of your problems are solved. Uh, yep. Everything got fixed. Well, I graduated Roll high the school. Credits. <laughs> yeah, that's it. We're signing off. This has been uh, Big Rich and Casey. Death to Life podcast. Death to boyfriend. You had death, death and then the boyfriend. Well, that's true because I didn't marry him. But yeah. <laughs> R.I.P. No, just kidding. We're still friends. Um, okay. <laughs> so I went to camp. It was a, like a, a camp romance thing. We didn't end up uh-huh. even talking until the last week of camp where he asked me out. And then we like he went to a different school. He'd come to Southern and like take me on dates and stuff. It was very sweet. Like I was very naive. I had no idea what a real relationship looked like. Probably behaved that way too. Probably had a lot of unmet expectations. Um, had not dealt with any of that like crazy stuff fully. Like I don't think I'd fully stopped self-harming yet. Um, I just was like in waters that I, I wasn't comfortable with yet. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, in that relationship. And he was really sweet, um, like no hard feelings now. Um, but yeah, that was pretty formative, I think, for my freshman year. I was really like finding myself. Um, I started off as an art major and I really like wrapped up my identity in that, wrapped up my identity in that I had like this like older cool boyfriend. And um, yeah, I just let all of the external things like define me. And so at the end of the year, when all these things started to fall apart, I was like, okay. What's happening? Like, what happens next? Um, Yeah, that was going on. I, like, had a job that was great and good, but there was a staff member who, like, was kind of inappropriate, like, in his words towards me. And, like, that really fed into the lies that, like, had been planted in me when I was younger in that incident in the pool. Mm -hmm. Um, It was, like, older man then, older man at this point in time. Um... And so I think, like, there was a lot just bubbling up inside of me because it was, like, all this, like, like I'd been struggling with self-harm for a really long time at this point. The panic attacks hadn't really fully stopped. But all of a sudden, all this, like, newness and exciting stuff had entered the equation. But that also didn't necessarily fit my life. So it was just, like, a lot of anxiety, um, a lot of not knowing who I was while trying to still act like I knew exactly who I was. Um, 
yeah, and at the end of the year, it all just sort of started to fall apart. Like, I realized, like, I didn't want to be an art major. I didn't want to be a graphic designer, this cool freelance graphic designer I thought I was going to be someday. Um, the relationship didn't work out. I didn't really have words fully for why it didn't work out, and that really sucked. Um, still kept working at this job where this, like, older staff member wasn't treating me very nicely. And, um, yeah, that that summer, I think I... I had a lot of healing and that I found at camp again, a lot of um, really strong, healthy female friendships who came in, saved the day for me, sort of in the aftermath of this breakup. Um, they were really sweet, really good to me. And um, I entered into my sophomore year with, yeah, just a lot of hope. Like I had really uh, believed that my calling was now to be a teacher Um and yeah, I had friends. I had this new calling. Um, and I started to pursue that. And my sophomore year was probably one of the best years of college for me. Like I met Ben that year. I found an amazing group of friends. I decided to be a student missionary. So yeah, things were going pretty good. It's sort of like sophomore a sophomore year always the best. So good. Yeah. So- Freshman year, totally haywire. I had a bunch of like, did you go to se- you went to Union? I don't That's know if there's right. a union equivalent, but at Southern, I call them like promenade friends, where it's like you meet them at one freshman event, and then from then on, like you think you're going to be besties with them. But oh, you they're in saying, your wedding. <laughs> yeah, but no, but then you just say hi to them on like the promenade from then on, which is like the sidewalk that goes all the way through campus. And they're, I just call them like promenade friends or student center friends. Like you just sort of say hi, and you think that you're friends with them, but you're not really friends with them. I had a lot of those, a lot of those freshman year, not a lot of solid relationships. And then sophomore year, God was like, let me give you like some real solid friendships and relationships. And I was like, oh, no, see, what union a sweet surprise. is union is small. Too small for that. Oh, yeah. Those people that you meet in your freshman comp, like college writing one class, they end up being your pallbearers. Like that's yeah. how deep the level of friendship is. They go all the way through life. Yeah. You. or your wife no. in Tyler and Morgan's case. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I've always thought like freshman year is, is like so weird because you're confused. You don't know. You go to all the events and and then uh, sophomore year, you still have the same excitement, but you know the mm-hmm. lay of the land. And you know yeah. what not to go to because you made the mistakes your freshman year. Your junior mm-hmm. year, you're like, all right, we've done this. Your senior year, like, get me out of here. And then exactly. right after you graduate, you're like, get me back in. I don't like the real world. It's crazy. <laughs> I want to live in campus housing more than anything. <laughs> Put the me cafeteria. back in the village. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Sophomore year, you camp. just like, yeah. All like the FOMO starts to go away sophomore year because they're like, been there, done that. Now I can really pursue things that actually interest me. Um, So that was pretty cool. I am like had made those like really strong friendships with a couple of my girlfriends. And then they started dating these guys, became really good friends with them in these relationships that they were in, too. So like this friend group had started to evolve and I had never really had like a friend group. I had had these individual really close friends, but never like a group of people where we're like, let's all go to per- this person's house and have popcorn and watch a movie. Never really had that. Now I had it. It was amazing. Um, loved my education classes. I, and then, yeah, then I meet Ben um, in January, who, <laughs> for the listeners, is my husband. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Spoiler. <laughs> Married the heck out of him. Um, <laughs> 
<laughs> and he's then, the yeah, best. so like, he's amazing. He's great. Listen to his episode. <laughs> so I meet him. Are <laughs> oh, you going to add more to that, Richard? <laughs> no, I just think it's hilarious. Um, Keep going. <laughs> I can't start singing my words. I feel like you're just going to feed off of that. You're going to um, be John Ralphio for the the rest of the, the episode. That's great. I love that. I love that comparison. Um, yeah, I meet Ben. He introduces me to the youth director of the Hoy Conference, Eric. Um, tells me that I should talk to this guy. And I was just like, okay, cool. He's like a, a mutual friend of Ben's. So I sit down in the student center, start to talk to him. At the end of the conversation, which I thought was just casual conversation, he offers me a job at his summer camp. And I was like, sweet. This is an opportunity to get out of my last summer camp where my ex still works at. Um, and move to Hawaii, which is a place that I've always loved. My grandma grew up there, grew up like visiting the islands and stuff. So I was like, awesome. Also, this guy who is cool and my friend will also be there, Ben. Um, yeah, so it's uh, things started to change at that point. I um, decided to take a student mission position also in Hawaii on the big island as a teacher's assistant. And... Uh-huh. Um, I fly out there for summer camp. So, like, yeah, sophomore year. Pinnacle. It's what great. Year, what year is this? This is 2018. How long ago? 2018. It was 2018. Mm-hmm. Be- between <laughs> your sophomore ago? and junior year. Oh, oh, my, uh, my mission year. Yeah, it was 2018, 2019. Okay. Is that what you're asking? Yeah. So you go to camp... Yeah, I'm just trying. To, so you go to Camp Waianae. What's yeah, that are you all trying about? to piece together <laughs> the timeline? I, I there's just so many. You yeah, know, when it comes to the, the Death Alive podcast, Camp there's Waianae a lot of connections. Is plays a huge role in the Death Alive podcast. <laughs> yeah, and uh, someone needs to send me a Camp Waianae shirt. By the way, I, I need one. I got but you. Just seeing, Maybe. We'll like see. after hearing Danica's story and hearing Drew and Miley's story. Erica's yeah, trying to, yeah. Trying to catch up yeah like, no the oh, you're gonna get another where, piece of that, that uh of that, that puzzle soon in that point so um yeah so I go to camp tell me what happened um yeah I go to camp I like it I love it um it's a great camp super amazing spiritual environment um I you know heard like the gospel from you know the way that Jonathan was presenting it and I loved it I am um, didn't have any like crazy spiritual awakening or anything like that. I just was sort of like, oh, this is interesting. Like, I'll I'll add it to the notes. Um, <laughs> and then <laughs> cool, it was cool, like, cool, 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 Aloha games, like our big ruck period with the kids. And I like went back in my cabin for a second to grab something, end up checking my phone, see these missed messages from like my childhood best friends back in California. And they're saying, like, did you hear the news? And I like keep scrolling down the conversation. And eventually like what comes up is they said that this girl who we had grown up around had um, taken her life. And I didn't know her super well. And it's not, my story to tell, but it plays a part in my story. So I'll just leave it at that, right? Um, I didn't know what to do with that news. Again, like I wasn't super close to her or anything like that. Like my family um, knows, knew that family and 
was a part of the church community and stuff, but this was really the first experience I had ever had in, in that sense of proximity with someone taking their life. And um, wow, that really set me spiraling down a pretty dark path. Because um, again, at the time, like, still had these like lingering, like depressive episodes, panic attacks, self-harm and stuff. And that really like, man, it just, I just remember just breaking down and like sobbing, like almost like, like scream crying, like behind the cafeteria or not behind the cafeteria, behind the bathroom while the kids were playing and just like not knowing what to do. Like my head was spinning. I didn't know what to do with this information. I felt like I was going to throw up. Like I didn't, I was just, yeah, I was just reeling. And um, I told Ben and Ben told the director and the assistant director. And so they were all super understanding. They gave me the space and like the time that I needed. But I, I remember like her memorial and stuff was held back in California. And I just sort of like watched all of my super close family and friends and community gather to like mourn and stuff. And I was so far away. I felt so physically distant. Um, And I knew that in like two weeks I was moving to the big island. So I wasn't going to be able to go home or talk to anyone about it. And um, so I did whatever processing I could while I finished up teen camp. And um, then I flew to the big island and it was like the first weekend I had touched down on the Big Island and none of the other task force workers were there yet. And I found out that my grandfather has just passed away. Um, so it was like two pretty significant deaths, like within a month of each other. And I'm all alone. Yeah. Mm. What, what were the lies starting to hit you as you're finding out about this, this friend? It's just tough because because it felt like it was because it wasn't someone that I knew that well. It felt like I was sort of like on the outside, like looking in like the lies weren't personal to the situation, but they were so personal to me, like with Mm -hmm. my my backstory and my struggles and my idea of my my worth and identity and things like that. And so it was a lot. I just had a lot of questions like, God, like, why did you bring me out here? Why am I here? What what good can I do if I'm mourning these losses? You know, I'm I'm broken anyways. Like I'm so broken. I'm almost just like shattered. Like I have nothing to offer. I have nothing good can come out of me at this point. And so I sort of just like adapted back into like middle school Casey who just hid everything and like would not tell anyone anything like my one of my best friends the one who has roommates with all through Fletcher all through college um she eventually flew out and joined me as an SM out there there was another girl who came out and again like really good people who I felt safe around did not tell them did not tell them about either of the losses um did not tell the administrators at the school I was working at nothing like that I think the only people who knew were my family my boyfriend and um the student missions director at Southern. And man, it just sucked. Like it was just, everything was just like sucked back into darkness. Um, because all these things that I had claimed to have overcome, like in that testimony at Fletcher, they were right back there with me. Um, and in 
probably the loneliest stage of my life. So I did the same thing I did when I was in eighth grade. Like I significantly remember being on Big Island, taking my razor, taking my shoe and just like hitting it, like sobbing. And I'm hitting this razor until one of the like blades lodges, dislodges. And I just like got super heavy into this pattern of self-harm again. And um, it was like worse than it had ever been um, because again, I was just so lonely. I already thought of myself as broken. Um, I didn't have any hope left. Um, I just didn't see any good in me. Like, like there was no good piece of me. There was no good part of me. And, um, yeah, I just kept on doing these things (laughs) and it sucked. It sucked. It, It hurt my relationship, you know, because Ben was one of the only people who knew about it. He was carrying a lot of the burden. I had a lot of false expectations of him and how he could essentially like save me from this. And yet I didn't want to be saved from it. I didn't want to, because that would insinuate that I was broken and I couldn't face that, even though that's how I thought of myself in the first place. It was this like crazy toxic cycle where he would try and speak life over me and I would just totally reject it. Like I was at this stage of my life where I just like, I didn't want to hear it. I didn't want any like truth or life being spoken over me because it felt wrong because I had already solidified my idea of myself as like being this broken individual who would never overcome like the sins of her past, essentially. Like I'd always bear these scars. I'll always be broken. I'll always be the girl with panic attacks and depression and things like that. And um, like I'll chronically be going to counseling. Um I had gone to LRT early on in the in that school year. Actually, I went and sang for it at Kaneohe Church. Um, I want to say like October or something. Christian came out. Justin was there. It was a really good time. And again, I think I had the same experience I had when I heard it for the first time. I was like, dope. This is awesome. I could tell that this is different from what I'd heard before. And I could tell that it's better. It's great. I go back to the Big Island. Still feel awful. Still treat myself like crap. Um, and... I went home for Christmas, and I remember when I came back um, from Christmas break, I just felt even more lonely. And, like, I just—it didn't matter what I did to myself because no one saw it anyways. Um, And it wasn't fixable. Um, And so I just, like, started losing hope um, and thinking these really, really bad thoughts about myself. And I remember— the moment when I noticed like how bad it was, was we found out that one of our students had been self-harming. And so they took us to this um, teacher training about what to do with students who deal with this struggle. And I remember them talking about um, suicidal thoughts and suicidal ideologies and plans and the differences between these things. And I remember sitting at that table with these other staff members and other student missionaries and realizing in that moment, like, I have suicidal ideology. Like, I'm not making any plans or things like that, but this is a thought that plays in my mind of what if, like, what if I wasn't here anymore? Like, would it make a difference? Would people care? Because I don't want to be here anymore. Like, I don't have this desire to, like, live because it was so bad. Like, I just felt so lonely and empty and broken. Like, it was just like, yeah, there's this, like, pit of desolation in me. One of my favorite Bible studies that we have 
is on Wednesday night at 8 central and it's called what's it called it's called love reality steady night and it's hosted by my man Tyler Morrison and it's topical and man the last few weeks have been on boundaries it's been on what do we do when we're hurt and uh, we've had guests on there it's just an amazing bible study if you are interested in joining this or any of our other bible studies email us at steady at lovereality.org and we will hook you up with all the details i think you'll find they'll be a huge blessing do you think that those thoughts were like the core of what you believed or do you think there was something deeper that was like I do want life I just don't know how to get out of this yeah it's interesting because there is sort of like a dichotomy there you know and like because I can recognize too like I hadn't given up on God because I was still crying out to him um and I don't think I would have been crying out to him unless I had hope that things would get better deep, deep down. Um, I think I had given up on like the desire to get better. I think I had just like sunken into this place. And yet still like I was like, God, please help me. Um, not really putting my faith in that it would actually happen, but just in that this felt like the thing to do. And I still held to that belief that I was talking about from my senior year where I was like, I know that he's here with me. Like, I know that he is, he said that he'd never leave us or forsake us. And so I know that he's here with me in these moments. And I remember coming back, people would ask about what my spiritual life was like that year. And I like what my relationship with God was like that year. And I'd say it was intimate because he was the only one who knew everything. Um, and I, I talked to him about stuff. I, I don't think I was praying super bold prayers or anything like that, but yeah, he knew. <laughs> Do you feel like those thoughts of I want to hurt myself or I don't want to be here as you have understood like that not every thought is coming from you or every thought is your own? Are you able to see now like those thoughts were put in there Mm -hmm. by the enemy of my soul? Mm -hmm. But I didn't know that at the time. Yeah, for sure. Um yeah, it's interesting now being able to like step away from that and understand like what like a spiritual attack that really was. Um, but when you believe that you're broken and you believe that like brokenness is your identity, of course, you're going to ascribe those thoughts to yourself because you think that's all your mind and your body and your thoughts can produce is bad things, is broken things. And so when you hear the thought that says like people would be better off without you. Um, and there's no point in this anymore, you're going to believe that that is a, you're not even like the, the thought would never cross your mind. Like this isn't coming from me. Man, <laughs> how, how, how much did, uh, Ben know that like how serious it had gotten? Um, he knew all of it. I think there were times when I tried to like hold back because we'd have these conversations where like he would tell me like this is really heavy for me too. But I hated hearing that. Like I hated hearing that because I was like, well, I'm the one who's dealing with this. Like it's not even you. So you basically just have to like shut up and deal with it and like listen to me go on about these troubles and things. Um, And yeah, like I just like look back and think like, man, that must have 
been really hard for him um, to sit there and hear about someone that he loved, like going through this, but not being able to like be there, like physically for me and me just like making him swear that he wouldn't tell anyone um, like the extent of what was going on with me and him just like pleading with me to tell someone. And eventually like I went to counseling and stuff while I was there, but um, yeah, he knew and he really grappled with it. But I know that like during that time he was, just faithfully like bringing me to like the feet of Jesus, like each and every day, like just praying so fiercely for me. Like just the other night we were at prayer meeting and we were um, reading about the um, paralyzed man who was taken through the Mm -hmm. ceiling with his friends. And I just recognized like that was Ben. Like Ben was the one just like ripping those floor tiles or the ceiling tiles off and like making me like a, a makeshift little cop to like lower me down from the ceiling to Jesus because he had this faith that like, if I could just see Jesus, if I could just know who Jesus was, I would be healed. And, and so he did that. Even when I told him, like, I would just tell him like, stop praying for me. Like, stop telling me about Jesus. Like, I don't want to hear it because I wasn't seeing any fruit of that in my life. Like, I know that like, yeah, he just prayed me through that season so fiercely. Damn, this all makes me want to cry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's a he's amazing. <laughs> that dude that dude loves that dude has been loved by God. Yeah. Yeah, so intimately. Um and- Yeah. He's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's nice to be able to look back now and not resent that. Because I would, I would just be like, man, like he must think he has some sort of spiritual authority or like power over me to to think that he could do all these things. And yet, like, man, he could have just easily just given up on me. And I was I was practically like baiting him into doing that. It was like, just be like everybody else. Right. Just like leave. What's the point anyways? Like, why would you want to be with me? Like, these are the kinds of things I would say to him. And he like stayed with me and it wasn't always great like we'd for sure get into some like not great fights and things but he stayed and he prayed and he like believed for me like i couldn't believe for myself but he had faith for me that like lowered me through those ceiling tiles like to jesus so by the end of your student mission year when you were coming back what kind of a person, what kind of shape were you in as you're, as you're coming back? Yeah, I was ready to go. <laughs> I had, I had good memories for sure. Just like, you know, that middle school experience where like, you know, there were still good times. I loved the kids. I loved the community, but it was, it was time for me to go. And I think, um, yeah, I, I still didn't have a lot of hope for myself. Um, I, I stopped having those like really awful thoughts um, but I, I still maintained that I was like this broken person um, and that I could like conceal all these things in the dark and I would just get away with it. Um, Who were you like, hi, I'm Casey. I'm going to be a junior senior at Southern. I am like, who were you in your mind? Like, like what who was I wanted you? to present myself as? No, who were you actually in your mind? Like, what was your value? I don't think I had much. Um it was it was definitely like I was the girl with mental health issues. Like I was the girl who was chronically in counseling. I was the depressed girl. I was the girl 
who had very public panic attacks. Um, yeah, I was the girl that just could like handle the bare minimum and get broken by a lot. Um, yeah, that's who I saw myself as for sure. Hmm. Yeah, there was not a lot of worth there. So when you get back to Southern, has Ben just graduated and he's going to Andrews or? <laughs> well, actually, <laughs> this is where the stories come together. Um, I went to Camp Waianae after this year. I didn't go directly home. I flew back to Oahu, hung out there for a few weeks with my girl Yesenia and Erica. We just lived it up on the islands. It was actually very healing to be with them. Um, and after that, we go to Camp Waianae. And this will probably be a similar story and yet different at the same time from other ones you've heard before. But this is where things start to change and shift for me. Um, I get to camp and everybody's there. And um, John starts to to preach and starts to talk to us. He's the staff chaplain, obviously. And um, we had a good relationship. Like, we were friends. And I remember the summer before like getting to know him and this summer that I had come back, I was programming director. So I was in the um, staff office quite a bit more. And I remember John would just like, look at me sometimes and he'd be go, he'd go, um, let's go for a walk. And I'd be like, Oh, okay. And we go for a walk and he'd like, asked me like, how are you really doing right now? And I'd be like, Oh, I'm good. I'm good. And I'd give these like really surface level answers. Like I'd tell this dude was like digging for some dirt, <laughs> but I'd be like, Oh yeah. Program is just really stressful. Like I have, you know, and the year was really stressful and I'm just, I'm just stressed. I'm juggling a lot of things. And, um, I don't think I'd give him a ton to work with, but it was enough that he knew, like he knew that there was some junk happening deep inside of me. And, um, it was a crazy summer because, like, all these other people started to get it. Like, they started to receive the gospel. You started to see, like, the Holy Spirit just moving so powerfully within people, like, onto people. Um, and so it felt like every staff worship, there was some crazy testimony about how someone was in afternoon staff worship um, and had this, like, physical experience of receiving the Holy Spirit. Um and I just remember sitting there and just being like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, cool all story. right, cool, whatever. Um, because I just, I started to build this resentment. Like I hated the fact that other people were having these beautiful experiences with God. I hated it. Um, <laughs> I had so much bitterness towards them. I like wish Jonathan would have just shut up. I was like, just stop talking about this stuff. I'm over it. I was, like, this is the same stuff Ben's been babbling on and on about all summer, all school year long to me. I get it. But have I been fixed? Like, is my depression gone? No. Like, so I get it. It's just for other people. Um, and that's cool and whatever. Just stop talking to me about it. Cause can't you, can't you tell? I'm like this broken person. It like hurts to see other people's healing. Um, and yeah, just like what's happening. It felt like every week there was a new person or like every other day there was this new person or these new beautiful revelations people were having in worship. And I just sit there like this, <laughs> like just <laughs> slumped in this little corner, just like arms up. folded. Yeah. Like, Drew and Jonathan would be talking about it in the staff office, and they would, like, make these remarks to me that would be, like, um, oh, man. One of them was, I, <laughs> I 
was so mad. I walked away from the table. I would have lunch a little bit late because I was an ad staff and I was like working through lunch. And I remember like Jonathan would always have watermelon from the cafeteria because Auntie Kathleen's just like super sweet. She's the cook there uh-huh. and would just let Jonathan have an entire watermelon to himself. No one else got this privilege, by the way. So <laughs> Jonathan would sit there with this giant bowl of ice cold watermelon on this hot wine eye day. And I remember just like sitting next to him in the cafeteria being like, hey, and I think Drew was sitting there with him. And I was like, hey, can I have some of that watermelon? I remember him and Drew just making some stupid joke about freedom. They're like, yeah, yeah, of course you could have some. It's free. And they're just looking at me like this little like smirk on their face. Like, it's free. No, you can just take it. Yeah, no, see how good it is? Yeah, you could take it. We really love it. We love it. And we're we're saying it's for you, too. And I just remember being like, if these guys don't show up right now, I'm going to explode. And I, I stood up and I walked away from the table. Like, I was so over it. I was oh, yeah, so yeah. done with them. That's called uh, gospel trolling. By the yeah, way. they it's did a, a lot of that. A... <laughs> <laughs> They're really good at it. <laughs> gospel trolling. Oh, man. Yeah, I just... I looked around and I just saw all these people getting it and receiving the gospel. And I just, it just instilled in me more lies of like, you're alone. You're not good enough. You're not worthy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What had made sense or what was new? Because by this time you've heard it like maybe three times. You've heard what John is saying. What Mm -hmm. was new that had settled in like, oh, okay. Like you said, it was different. Do you remember what you knew? Well, that's different than what I'd heard before, but it's still not doing what it's supposed to do. Yeah. I think like cognitively, like all of it was easy for me to digest just because I don't think I was ever fed any sort of toxic Christianity growing up, maybe some surface level stuff. But this, what I could recognize was like, oh, this is deeper. This is more meaningful to who I am as a person. Like, I remember reading Ephesians 1 and just being like, okay, this is about me. You know, I think it was just the first time I realized, like, like God's words were for me. Jesus' death was for me. His resurrection was for me. All of these things apply to me as a person and not just for humanity as a whole. Um, and so I think that was a significant takeaway at the time. Um but nothing more than that. It's just sort of some things that would roll around in my brain. I'd be like, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> I mm. get how this is deep for other people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So by the end of the summer, like, what, you still tripping on it or what happened? I was tripping for sure. <laughs> tripping in like hatred and resentment <laughs> towards people. Um, how was Ben handling that? Was he just like, okay, cool. I don't think he knew how much resentment I had built up towards it. I think he maybe thought that, like, I was doing better than I was doing during the school year because I was, like, happier because I was in a camp environment and that was, like, just my lifestyle. I loved it. And so I was, again, just experiencing so much joy and happiness day to day. I don't know how much of, like, the resentment he picked up on um, spiritually. Um, And we – I don't think he was really trying to, like – reach me personally at the time or anything like that i like i don't doubt he was still praying for me and stuff as other people were receiving it i don't doubt that in his heart he was also just praying like god like let casey get it this summer um but yeah we didn't i don't remember any specific interaction between the two of us um where i like told him how much this sucked for me (laughs) (laughs) but um 
Yeah. I guess the like the um, climax of all this is similar to other people's who have been on the podcast. It was the um, last night of teen camp. And I was in the staff office while everybody else was out having the staff party. They had these like amazing acai bowls. Everyone's having a good time watching the end of the year staff video and stuff. And um, after that all happens, Jonathan starts doing his like last worship. And I'm in the staff office, like poking my head in and out from time to time because I'm doing paper plate awards, which are basically these goofy awards. Everybody gets one like uh, best mullet. You know, we could but like Richard Young. And that would be something for <laughs> you. Right? <laughs> um, and so it would be that that's what I was working on. And it was sort of a twofold purpose. Like one was because I got to work with my friend Danny and we were just having fun creating all these things. And the other purpose was because I did not want to listen to Jonathan's worship. Um, because he was having all these people give their testimonies. And I was like, okay, whatever. Like, I've heard these people's stories. Doesn't matter. Like, we get it. We get it already. Um, you guys are all free. Whatever. Sounds good. Let me just finish my paper plates and get on with it. Um, until Danny goes, hey, Casey, like, you know, like, we're admin. We should really be there. Like, oh, gosh, she's right. And so I go and I sit down next to Ben. And... um just try and stomach the rest of the night. And so Jonathan's preaching and eventually the night sort of transitions um, because he starts prompting people to not only like stand and like testify about what God had did, has done for them that summer and a new sort of transformation that had taken place, but asking for people to also like stand and like confess and like receive um, the Holy Spirit. And that was wild. Um, it, like the best way to describe it is like Pentecost, like Holy Spirit, just fire ablaze in the room. Um, it was just this crazy spiritual energy in there. Um, and you just kept seeing uh, like person after person just like standing and confessing like their addictions and fears and shame and all these things and people laying hands and praying over them. Like I know Danica was just like bringing prayer warrior of the night, just laying hands praying over people, praying truth over people. And um, meanwhile, I am seated, not standing like all these other people. <laughs> I'm seated on this little lawn chair thing, and I'm gripping the sides of it so hard that my knuckles are turning white. And I'm like frozen in this spot because all I can hear in my head at that moment, like I can see what's going on in the room, but I'm just experiencing like heavy spiritual warfare, like as soon as this worship starts happening. Cause in my head, all I can hear are like lies, lies, lies. Um, every lie that I had believed about myself from that school year, um, or from my entire life for that matter. Hmm. Um, yeah, I just sat there frozen in place and all I could hear in my head was like, God doesn't see you and God doesn't love you. God doesn't see you and God doesn't love you. Like he doesn't love you enough to give you what everybody else in this room has. He doesn't see any of your struggles. He doesn't see any of your pain. He's never seen you when you were like on your knees in the bathroom crying, cutting yourself. Like he's never like heard the thoughts that you've had in your head about not being alive any longer. And like, and if he did, he wouldn't care about it. Like nasty, nasty lies in my head. And it felt like it went on forever um and I was just like I was frozen I was shaking I was crying I just I like I couldn't 
speak because it was just all consuming in my head. Like I had never experienced this kind of like, yeah, like spiritual warfare before where I just heard lies um, while these beautiful things are happening around me, right? Um, and I could tell like this is a crazy spiritual environment in this room right now, like holy ground. And yet in my mind, all I can hear is like death, bad things, lies. And I'm sitting there shaking, hearing every lie I've ever been told, hearing every lie that I've ever believed, affirmed again. And I feel Ben like place his hand on me. And I feel my other friend Yesenia place her hand on me. And I could tell they're starting to like pray over me in those moments. And just like, I could cry about it just because like Ben has just been so faithful to God and to me throughout our entire relationship um, that he was just able to like sense that and know that like I just needed help. Um, And so, yeah, he was just there like praying me through those moments and Yesenia was there and I couldn't hear their prayers, but I just knew they were happening. And in front of me, what was going on at this point was Jonathan had said, all right, like, I think like, like we're going to have some baptisms tonight. And everyone was super hype about it, like standing up, ready to go. And Eric, he stands up and he goes, no, like we are not leaving this room until everybody in here is free. And I just like, like, I just felt that in my soul because I knew that like, I was that person and those lies just came harder and harder and harder and I was just like shaking crying Jonathan starts going around to the other people in the room like praying laying hands and then so like Ben's praying on one side Yusenia's praying on the other side of me and then suddenly in front of me um, there's this like paper plate like I had been doing this paper plate awards right one of those paper plates gets passed in front of me by Eric and on it like it, it says like you are free from sin And um, I don't know exactly the timeline of when this started to happen. If it was like when I read that plate, when it was Ben and Yesenia like laying hands on me. But suddenly like I heard this other voice in my head and I like knew without a shadow of a doubt that it was like the voice of God. Like I'd never heard him before. Um, And for every lie, like there was a truth. It was like God doesn't see you. And then I heard God himself say, I see you. God doesn't love you. And then God himself saying, like, I love you over and over again until, like, the lies of the enemy were just, like, silenced completely. And the only voice I could hear in my head was God himself saying, Casey, I see you and I love you. I see you and I love you. I see you and I love you. I see you and I love you over and over and over again. And every single moment from that year where I had thought I was completely alone and he didn't see me, he didn't see me like sitting there cutting myself. He didn't hear those thoughts that I was thinking about myself. Like I knew in those moments, like I had a father in heaven who was there with me intimately, like crying with me, wanting me to stop loving me so fiercely through those moments no less no more just at the fullest extent of what he which he could love um yeah in all those moments and then in that moment specifically I just knew without a shadow of a doubt that like God saw me he saw every piece of me and he loved me he didn't love me despite it he just loved me as his created child he saw me and he loved me and it was like every chain was broken Um, John came over and he asked, like, what are the lies? 
it was like so easy to identify them because like the devil himself like had told me because like the lie was that like God didn't see me and that he didn't love me like I literally did not think that God himself loved me I could see his love for every other person in that room manifest itself but I didn't think that the God of the universe had love for me Um, and I didn't think that he saw me and he himself had to come in and tell me no I do I do Um, yeah and then they like prayed over me and I practically like ran up to that pool to get baptized it was the craziest night of my life (laughs) you ran up to the pool I I think I practically ran up there and I jumped in like fully clothed (laughs) it was was an insane night it was like (laughs) 1am it was pretty cool when you came out of that water what, what was that like just newness of life like I knew that like I wasn't broken and I never had been like I knew that I was just a fully loved daughter of God and there was never a day that I was hidden from him there was never a day or nothing I could have ever done to distance me from him or to make his love be minimized in any way towards me and that now in this newness I just had an opportunity to grow in that love Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Did you, like, make a separation from, like, yo, like, old Casey is, is, is done? Yeah. I fully recognized that what I had been living as, who I had been presenting myself as, was fully gone away with. Um, that she had been, yeah, put to that watery grave and she was not going to come back up um i think i recognize that those things i had experienced may come back up but i all of a sudden have this unshakable truth that i had never had before that god loved me and that he died for me and that he saw my struggles and he loved me anyways wow. yeah <laughs> faith is is for the past, meaning we have faith not in that God is going to do it. Believing that God is going to do it is actually not faith. Mm. Or that you have the availability to have something. That's not faith. Faith is God has done it. Mm-hmm. Like he did it. I mm-hmm. have it. Mm-hmm. Because it's, it's putting belief behind something that he said he'd done. Yeah. And so, like, this thing is called, like, you're now starting to operate in faith. You're saying, oh, he did do it. He mm-hmm. did free me from sin. Mm-hmm. And moving forward is called hope. Like, for the future, we hope. And hope is not like a wish, right? Hope is, I'm never going to die. Mm-hmm. I'm an eternal being because I'm in Christ. Mm-hmm. And Christ is never going to die again. I died with him. I mm-hmm. raised with him. And I'm never going to die. So faith is, he did it. Hope is, I'm never going to die. Right? Yeah. As you're coming back from camp, and this is maybe two years ago. Yeah, I don't know how long two, ago. three years ago. I guess this is summer of 2019. So, yeah, summer 2020, we were all, it was the worldwide 
pandemic. Yeah. And that's where I first met you. But as you're leaving that and moving into the rest of your, yeah. What, what's different? Like, how are you moving through when old thoughts start to come out? Yeah. It was interesting because, like, I was still very, like, young in uh, my faith, I guess. And so there were a lot of things I didn't have words for, a lot of things I didn't really have answers for. But the answer to all of those things I knew was that I was loved. And I hadn't had that in my arsenal before, you know, like I hadn't had that to weaponize against these thoughts before. Um, and having that truth was a resounding, like, ding, 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 like God has won the fight, you know, like I, I didn't have to battle or like wrestle with these things anymore when they came up. Um, sometimes like it, I had to really reach to like recognize certain truths because my body and my mind physically had just rested in these other patterns before right mm, like my, my mm -hmm. mind had just been trained for years and years to think less of myself and so it it did take a bit of um determination to rest in these truths instead um but once they were there they were there and and the wrestling like stopped um yeah it's interesting because like people who come to me now and they tell me that they're struggling with like depression and anxiety and things like this. Um, it's really easy for me to recognize now that like sometimes we put these things on ourselves because it's comfortable because it's what like our minds and our bodies have just been conditioned to believe and to think about ourselves. But like now, like the mental picture I have of it is like that Jesus died and left these things in the grave and like people are just there with like a shovel, like trying to dig them back up because it's like comfortable for them. And they're just so used to having these chains on them that it's like a safety blanket. And it's like, no, just like put down the shovel. Like you don't need to put those things back on, especially for me specifically. I had to like tell myself like, no, like you don't need to put that back on yourself just because that's what you're used to dealing with. Like what in these scenarios, like if X happens or if like A happens, B doesn't have to be the result because that's what you're conditioned and programmed to believe. That's profound. It's just like, some people find their identity in depression or their identity in like, if you take away their depression or if you take away their low self-worth, well then, well then what do they have left? Mm -hmm. Like that's who they are, right? They're, mm -hmm. they're naked if you don't have that. Um, and they don't know they're living that way. Mm -hmm. They don't know, like they've been deceived, right? Yeah. No one, no one would choose that. And so, um, but that's, a lie from the enemy of your soul to get you into that hamster wheel type thinking mm -hmm. um, that, no, this can't be taken away from me because then who am I? Yeah. It's just such a cycle. That's why like this like gospel, this like false gospel and air quotes, you know, of like brokenness is so harmful. Like you tell people that they're broken, but like thank God for like grace and thank God for like, what was done on the cross and thank God that like Jesus is a healer, but not actually talking about like the finality of healing just leaves people like scrambling and leaves people like thinking that it's a blessing to be broken. Like it's a blessing to have all these like flaws and faults because we're able to connect with other people who are broken. And like, we just keep pointing people to like God's healing and things like that. I mean, like it was tough, like 
going back to Southern and hearing that a lot in ministry um, and just thinking like, no, like, this is what held me in these chains for so long was this idea that we're all broken and let's all just like find solace in our brokenness together. Oh, I hate it. <laughs> One of my homies sang this, like he was on Instagram and he sang this song with, with a duet with this girl and they sang it. It was this beautiful song, like the melody, but it was all about like, yo, we still do this stuff and we're still broken people but God loves us. And like the idea of the song, like the song was so whack. It was so whack. And I wanted to give him a compliment because his, his voice sounded beautiful and, and she sounded beautiful. But like the message was like, if you're struggling, you're a deeper person. If you're yeah. struggling, like there's some depth to you and da 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 da. And I was just like, that is so whack to me. Yeah, people like, I think, especially in like a spiritual context, want to like weaponize their own perceived brokenness. Yeah, it's just that, like a weapon, like a tool to be used in ministry instead of just recognizing that maybe like it's a part of your story. Maybe it's a, a, a small part of what you believed about yourself at one point, but it's not who you are. And I, ah, oh, man. I think it's just so damaging. <laughs> uh, yeah, 100%. So these last couple of years, you know, you get back all the way up to your wedding a few weekends ago, maybe three, mm -hmm. maybe five or six weekends ago. That journey in freedom, what has been just getting more and more foundational as you're growing in spiritual maturity? Yeah, I think there's a few hallmarks of this journey. Um, one has been expectations, um, especially because before, like I said, like I had all these expectations, especially of Ben to be the person who fixed me. Um, yeah, just ridding myself of expectations um, in that light and just recognizing the relationship for the blessing that it is um, and just dwelling like in faith and freedom together has been really beautiful. Um, that's been something for sure. Uh, recognizing like my, like the spirit within me and how much power that holds and not being afraid, not being afraid of what that really means um, has been something I've been growing into just in like sharing my story and just sharing the gospel with people and just coming into more confidence and that has been super beautiful. Um, and what are some other things? It's just all been really good. <laughs> I feel like I had a handful of ones I was going to say, and now I'm just drawing a blank. Um, yeah. Expectations, relationship. Oh man. Just like seeing other people for their created value too. Oh, it's like so beautiful. I had this moment where, um, like, obviously, because like, I think a lot of people have this weird notion that, like, after people have these crazy Holy Spirit experiences and freedom, whatever, that's, like, the final thing. And, like, we're just fine after that. And, like, God doesn't continue sharing dope things with us and revealing all these crazy lies. Like, this is still, God's still at work in all of us. Like, Let's go. Revealing these things. And that's, like, a beautiful part of the journey, for sure, um, is working from these truths um, and allowing God to keep 
keep revealing this stuff um, so we could just keep growing in righteousness. Um, yeah, so so one one part of the journey that I didn't mention was like just this weird time during that mission year where I had just a really strained relationship with my ex um, because he started dating one of my friends. And I had this idea of like how the world responds to like if your ex starts dating one of your close friends. It's like break a scroll code. It's the worst thing anyone could ever do to you, right? And I was already having these bad thoughts. So I just like really was fed by this. And like it just perpetuated a lot of anger in my life towards them, towards myself, um, held a ton of resentment towards them. And I'm in a, in a relationship at this point in time for sure. Not a healthy one, but like Ben and I were together. And I was holding all this resentment over them. Um, they both end up coming to camp and things start to get better. Like I'm still obviously struggling in my journey and stuff, but things start to get better. And then like I receive freedom at the end of it, like get baptized, whatever. We all like hug and it's all good and happy and stuff. And then the school year goes on. And I'm, like, sitting in my friend's Southern Village apartment, and Mikey, Drew, and Miley come over because they were in town for a wedding. And they come over there just like, hey, like, you know, what's, like, a spirit been, like, teaching you and revealing to you? And so we're all, like, talking and rejoicing over all this really cool stuff, and they leave. And one of the girls in the apartment was her little sister, the girl who was um, dating my ex. And um, I remember her looking at me and be like, hey, like, what happened? Like, you guys used to be really good friends. Like, what happened there? And I start to go into this whole story of how I had been hurt and betrayed and all this sort of stuff. And again, I just hear God tell me, no. <laughs> and, like, significantly, like, stops me from going down this path of just spewing more, like, lies. And he says, no, you love them. And I just remember, like, my heart just, like, dropping in that moment. And I just start crying. And I was like, I don't know. Like, all I feel right now in my heart for the two of them is love. And it was just this, like, crazy beautiful moment of just, like, seeing them for their worth, seeing myself for my full creative worth and value, and just knowing that, like, I don't have to hold any grudges or resentment or anything against them. Um, and just, like, offering forgiveness to myself, offering forgiveness to them, and, like, restoring a relationship that never had to be strained in the first place. And that was the first time I had, like, reached out to her personally in a really long time. And I was just like, hey, like, we're all good, and I love you. Um, yeah, and we've been great ever since. So that that was a super beautiful, like, experience with healing and forgiveness that never would have happened if I hadn't been grounded um, in these truths. Yeah, I think Ben and I were talking about this the other day, and I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but freedom is the beginning. Mm -hmm. It's not we of spiritual maturity. Mm -hmm. Like now we can actually grow in spiritual maturity, where before, if we were disciplined, it felt like condemnation. Mm -hmm. But now we know that it's for our growth yeah. in knowing who he is. Yeah. And uh, yeah, mm -hmm. so... <laughs> There's a whole lot more to come. Like before I die, I'm going to learn so much more and there's going to be so much. I mean, this thing's going to get preached. And that's mm -hmm. the same with you. You got probably uh, 30, uh, 30 more years after I'm gone to keep doing it. <laughs> and, and yeah, it's, it's so beautiful. And hearing your story, oh man, 
I usually end like this. If you, um, if there's a young lady and she's in the bathroom with the shoe and the razor hmm. and she just doesn't know where to go, um, if you could pull her aside, what hmm. would you, what would you tell her? I think I would tell her the same thing that like I heard God tell me, like he sees you and he loves you. And there's nothing that you could do to make him love you any more or any less in this very moment. Like, as you are doing what you are about to do, he could not love you any less. Yeah. Well, you can't go back from this stuff, can you? No. <laughs> I would not want to. It's too late. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah. Always fun to talk about. Yeah. Got me singing like glory. Yeah. It got me telling my story. Know that your love is on me. Uh, love is on me. River flowing in and never ends. More than life, Thank you so much for listening to the show today. We would love it. If you could share this so that people could hear uh, more of these stories. And a way you can do that is to rate us on Apple Podcasts. Give us a high rating. If, if you give us less than a five star, I'm inclined to believe that you're not really rocking with us. So give us a five star rating and, and throw a comment in there. If you're going to talk about us on social media, go ahead and use the hashtag death to life. And let's get that hashtag going. This podcast is a production of Love Reality. And if you want more information about Love Reality, go ahead and check us out at lovereality.org. This show's produced by Tyler Morrison and Katie Prusha. The sound and editing is done by Addison Collingsworth and Eddie Cornejo. And then the Johnny on the Spot is Annabelle Harper, and the artwork is done by Felix Gassman. Thank you so much for listening. Love y'all. Appreciate y'all. Thank you.